We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Coachable Podcast. Around here, we believe that life is the ultimate training ground for finding out what you are truly made of. I'm your host, Tori Gordon, high performance coach and breathwork facilitator. And each week, I share intimate conversations and inspirational stories from some of the world's most successful people. It's time to stop standing on the sidelines of your life and get your head and your heart back in the game. So take a seat, grab a pen, because you're going to want to take notes as I pull back the curtain on the tools, resources, and inspiration that you need to unlock your inner champion. Before we jump into this week's episode, I do want to say thank you to our sponsor, Organifi, which is a line of organic superfood blends that offer plant-based nutrition and high-quality ingredients with less than three grams of sugar. I absolutely love Organifi because, as you guys know, I'm traveling these days across the country, and I need something that's convenient but works. And with their uh, incredible travel size packets, this works really, really well for me being on the go. You can get their Organifi Greens, their Organifi Red, or what I love, the Organifi Gold, and make sure that not only does it taste good, but you're getting the superfoods that are essential for your diet to reduce stress and reset your morning into your routines. I absolutely love all of their products. So if you go to Organifi.com slash Tori Gordon and use the code Tori20, you will get 20% off all of your order. What's up, you guys? And welcome back to the Coachable Podcast. Today, we have a very special guest. The financial feminist herself, Tori Dunlap, is in the building. Well, in the virtual <laughs> building, I guess. Um, Tori, welcome to the show. Thanks for being Thank here. Thank you so much for having me. We were joking. We got two Tories on the mic. I know. Pa- Two for one. Power cannot be uh, cannot be held down. Are you are you a Victoria? I am. Yeah, me too. Are you? Yep. Yep. And I it's the T O R I. I was Yep. My sister decided I was gonna be a Tory very early. Oh, it was my parents stuck. immediately. They were like, She's a Tory. And yeah, for me yeah. it's like I'm not a Vic, I'm not a Vicky. If you call me either nope. of those things, I will probably never speak I will to you. Cut you. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. no, can't do it. Can't do it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> nope. Yeah, it's so funny how, like, our whole personality identity can, like, get caught up in, like, a word. The, the name. Know, it, yeah. Feel yeah, in a name. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I'm really excited to chat with you today and get the 411 on 
how we can get rich. You know, I mean, I want, I, who, who doesn't want more health, wealth, and abundance. Yeah. And here on the coachable podcast, we are really all about learning how to do things better and different. And we're willing to learn. We're willing to be students. Everyone who listens to the show understands that nothing changes if we don't change. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes that looks like our habits and our, you know, our fear-based thought patterns and psychological, you know, belief systems that we have around things like money. And I, um, as a coach have worked with so many students and clients who have struggled in this area, who've been held back and limited because of their, their stories around money. I'd love for you just to give listeners just a little bit inside of, of your own story and how you started, uh, her first 100 K and, and got to kind of where, where you are today, fighting the patriarchy, really educating women, um, to, create financial abundance. Give us a little bit of background on how you got here and why financial literacy and education is so, so important to you. Yeah. So I grew up with uh, parents who educated me about money and I learned not to overspend on credit cards. I learned how to save money and I thought that was the case for everybody. I thought, okay, everybody knows all these things. And of course realized very quickly that that wasn't the case and that I was the friend all of my women friends were coming to for advice and guidance. So I am 27. I graduated college in 2016. And of course, the election happened a couple months after I graduated. And I thought I would be coming into adulthood and into womanhood uh, in a very different America than I think a lot of us expected. And mm -hmm. for me, I felt just really activated. I wanted to do something and wanted to find a way to, you know, contribute positively and to feel like I uh, was fighting a lot of the racism, the sexism, the ableism, all of the things that were happening. And um, I realized that this financial education I had was a privilege. And with that privilege came a responsibility. And so I was working a nine to five in marketing. That was my corporate job. And I slowly started building her first 100K on the side. And um, our tagline, one of our taglines is, we don't think we have any sort of equality for any marginalized group until we have financial equality. And so I really work to see personal finance education as a form of protest, as a form of protest against a a form of protest against a system and a society that actively does not want you to have money, actively does not mm -hmm. want you to have agency. And so um, I saw this in my own life. I saw that, okay, if I save money, um, if I have an emergency fund, it means that I can leave a tox toxic situation I don't want to be in anymore. And I started seeing this with, you know, other friends of mine as like, when you had financial stability, you had options, you had choices. And so... I grew her first under K on the side to the point where I was able to quit, uh, quit my job and run uh, my business full time. And now we're a multi seven figure business. We have 13 team members spread throughout the world. Um, we have over 2 million followers, 3 million community members and a podcast called Financial Feminist, uh, uh, investing education app that's out. And it's just been the, the coolest thing. This is my life's work. I didn't major in finance or business. I didn't study either. I majored in communications and theater. This was not part of the plan, um, <laughs> but I, it's my, it's what I believe I was put on this earth to do. It's it, the more I do it, the more I'm so committed to, um, you know, to this work, and the more I can see um, how much it changes people's lives. Yeah. Well, you are, and you're. It's taking off and scaling uh, quickly, and people more and more people are coming to know who you are, and and um, utilizing the tools that you're providing for people yeah. um, to change their financial lives. And there, I think there's no 
fewer better gifts than that that you can give somebody because like you said it is a key that unlocks so many more um definitely possibilities and potential outcomes for people that they might not have had otherwise right and um i have heard you talk about uh your your childhood and the way your parents uh, spoke to you and taught you about money thinking that you know you just assumed everybody else had the same kind of upbringing and, right. and until you had this kind of harsh reality of oh i'm you know i am in a very small minority of people um of those of which who are, are privileged this is a gift that i was given and now you're giving that back what do you think are you know has been are the biggest things that people don't understand that you would assume that they would about money, whether that's about credit scores, yeah. whether that's about how to invest, like what are those things that many of us who maybe come from that background, just assume everybody knows, but you're finding like, oh no, this is what people need to learn. And, and there's a huge opportunity to, um, to inform them, educate them and, um, kind of give them a pathway to a new future. Yeah. I would take a step back even further. There are these narratives that are perpetuated on a societal level mm. that have to deal with money, right? Or have to deal with how hard you work. And mm -hmm. our work at Her First Hundred K and with Financial Feminist is um, personal finance is like 80% circumstantial, 20% personal choices. Like, there's, there's so much outside of your, you know, strategies around paying off debt and strategies around how to save money. Nothing changes about people's personal finance situations until yes, they control what they can't control, but it has to be coupled with policy change, right? You can't mm -hmm. talk about money and not talk about systemic oppression and mm -hmm. talk about these narratives that are perpetuated in order to keep you underpaid and overworked. So mm -hmm. beyond just the like, you know, the myths that are perpetuated about like credit scores or saving, you have to think about who is who is perpetuating the myths. Mm -hmm. So like one of them is very specifically is like um, keeping a balance on your credit card boosts your credit score. Not really. No, it just puts you in debt. And sure. if we were to parse back that myth and try to figure out who it came from. I have the not so conspiracy conspiracy theory that it probably came from the credit card companies who are profiting when you're in debt. Right. Mm -hmm. And when we think about even the most common narrative around money, that talking about money is taboo, right? I'm putting that in quotes, talking about money is taboo or gauche or impolite. This mm -hmm. is a narrative perpetuated by the patriarchy to keep you silent because if yeah. they tell you to not talk about money, if they tell you that talking about money is rude or impolite, then you don't do it. Right. Well, you don't know anything about money, right? And the patriarchy, they're having conversations about money. They're talking about money. They're talking about how to grow their wealth, right? And so that's a perfect example of something that we just as a society have believed for so long. And if, if we are thinking that these things are true, well, we're controllable, right? right. It's yeah. very easy for us to play small. Another narrative is, oh, well, if you work hard, you'll be rich, right? <laughs> like, oh, if you just work hard, you'll mm -hmm. be a millionaire, right? Which is the American bootstraps narrative, right. um, which is so gaslighty, first of all, and again, does not acknowledge systemic oppression, does mm -hmm. not acknowledge that a single mom working her butt off to provide for her family but can't afford her bills 
is not not working hard enough. Mm -hmm. She needs systemic change. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right. So there's all of these narratives and these kind of um, these these expectations around money, these beliefs around money that have been perpetuated by a system that, again, is in power, wants to remain in power and wants to keep you powerless. Mm -hmm. There's so much you just said there that we could unpack. And I think and I don't typically talk about pop culture on the show ever. But when you were just talking about the the myth that the more you work, the more money you'll make or the harder you work, the you'll be rich. Right. I think about that, that viral Kim K video that was just saying right. women Perfect. Just get out there and, and work right. hard, you know, get do your the work. fucking ass up and work. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah it's a perfect how many example. people felt completely, yeah, gaslit and just like, hello, are you tone deaf because I'm out here working my ass off every day and you don't know the struggles I face. And it doesn't right. take into consideration the oppression and, and policy that. And privilege, you know, exactly. And like, Yes, the Kardashians have worked very hard. However, they have had a shit ton of privilege. Sure. And hard work does not minimize privilege. Privilege does not minimize hard work. But you have to acknowledge both, right? Right. And so, yeah. yeah. And uh, to somebody who seemingly has it all, but of course has her own struggles with fame and all of those other things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, her saying something like that is, yeah, not uh, to your point, completely tone deaf, but also is so hard to hear if you're somebody that's struggling, right? Yeah, and I think one of the best examples I've heard of of privilege was just basically like the video that shows how many pe- how many steps in front you are right. <laughs> um, in the race in right. front of everybody else. Like I you think just of it as start... like a baseball metaphor of like yeah. I'm on second base. I still have to run home, yes. right? But I started my life on second base or first base or whatever, yep. right? Plenty of people are starting in the dugout or starting at the field next door, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like plenty of people are are not there, right? And mm-hmm. so. It does not, yeah, it has to, of course, like we control what we can control. We also have to acknowledge that so much of this is being put on us as individuals that is actually uh, a systemic issue. Yeah, I think that's why so many people connect to your work and you're being celebrated in in the media, you're being acknowledged in the media. So many people are getting on board with what you're doing because first, people get celebrated in the public for what they, a lot of times what they do in private. Right. But but you're not just acknowledging your privilege. You're then contributing as a byproduct of how can I be of service and use what I know I and the knowledge so. that I have yeah. with other people. And yeah. what I also pulled away from what you we were just sharing in regards to kind of these these overarching myths that a lot of us have just been indoctrinated and conditioned to believe is around shame when it comes yes. to talking about money. That's that's like half of my so I wrote a book. Um it's coming out later this year. I actually I shouldn't say I wrote a book. It's like so close to being done, but at this point it like feels done. Sure. Um but it's coming out in December and literally we spend the whole first chapter talking about like these narratives, the psychological, mm-hmm. you know, bullshit and trauma around money. And that is like in terms of negative emotions, quote unquote negative emotions, that is the number one thing. Shame. Right? Shame, judgment around money. Mm-hmm. Because no one taught us this. No one taught us how to money. Mm-hmm. And then we're then shamed for our choices, right? And women specifically, we are told, like, stop spending your money on frivolous things. That's why you're not rich, right? Like, stop spending your money on lattes and Starbucks. purses. And, right. And, and, you know, handbags or whatever. And um, not only, of course, again, is that not true, does not acknowledge systemic oppression and is super gendered bullshit advice. 
Um, but also, men do not have that. Mm. Men, when they buy Rolexes, are celebrated and get Instagram comments like, cool Rolex, dude. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, that's that's the narrative. Men are not shamed because they bought season tickets to their favorite football team. Mm-hmm. Like, they're not shamed for that. Right. And so... There's so much shaming that happens. And then a lot of the personal finance experts that uh, received, you know, recognition and admiration, especially in the earlier days, I, mm-hmm. I have a very public uh, dislike of Dave Ramsey, right? Like Dave Ramsey is a perfect example who like, that's the person a lot of people turn to um, in a very vulnerable state to try to learn about money. And the very person you come to, to learn about money is also shaming you. Yeah. So it's like, it's it's just it's a whole shame shit show mm-hmm. and um it's it doesn't help right yeah. psychologically shame does not help like well, it's, shame, it's not it's it, not helpful no it, it's like the way you're just describing that's like oh, i felt a lot of that when i was growing up in the church too but yep. it's funny yep. you know shame what i've learned about shame is shame's favorite thing to do is it makes you want to hide Right. Yeah, Brene Brown has a great, I think it's Brene Brown. She like talks about like shame loves silence and Mm -hmm. loves like the quiet Mm -hmm. corner of the room. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's what the talking about money is taboo narrative is doing. Exactly. Right. Is it's telling you don't talk about money that's shameful or you're going to get judged or when you ask, you know, quote unquote stupid question, you're going to be shamed for it. Right. And so therefore you not only play small, but you feel so scared to Mm -hmm. make a decision that's wrong but nobody taught you which decisions were right. Right. And so you you're feel like so... living with anxiety all the time. Right. Right. And we know from, from surveys and statistics that the number one stress for Americans is money. Mm-hmm. Like we know that. Mm-hmm. And so this is, you know, we're trying to do many things at Her First Center K around money. But one of the biggest things is how do we make talking about money less taboo? Mm-hmm. That is an act of protest in a very system in a society that does not want you to have money, that does not want you to have agency, that does not want you knowing how much other people make in order for you to ask for more, that does not want you knowing that you're not alone and how much debt you have, right? In a very society that expects these things of you, that's why talking about money is a form of protest. That's why mm-hmm. having financial resources, understanding the financial system, that's why these things are forms of protest against that society and that system that is actively keeping you and gatekeeping that information from you. Mm-hmm. So those listening, this is the woman you want to be going to when it, <laughs> it comes to like negotiating your salary or, or anything like that. Like, because here's the thing, how are we going to move forward and make progress if we're not willing to talk about it, like it's got to be on the table. And the thing is this, these types of taboo talk topics ruffle feathers. They might ruffle your own belief system about what you've been taught about this or what your parents think about it or what their parents say about, Oh, like it's not, it's not appropriate to ask somebody, you know, what they made or what they, you know, like what their interest rate was or Or even, even just saying like, I'm really overwhelmed with my student loans. Yeah. Like bringing that up at brunch. Mm -hmm. I was like, I feel really, really nervous about my student loans. Mm -hmm. Or I feel really nervous about how this next election is going to not only affect me, but affect my ability to financially survive. Mm -hmm. Right. Or like I heard like a bunch of my friends live in New York. Rent increases are getting crazy. Like even somehow crazier. Right. And like we're having conversations about it where they're like, my friend right now, and actually he's my business partner, we co-founded our investing app together. He's like, I like 
I'm trying to figure out where to live in Brooklyn. Yeah. <laughs> like every apartment, there's like 60 people making offers on it. So like even those conversations, right? That they're like, you know, it's happening. like I have friends getting married or having kids and they're coming to me and they're like, I'm trying to figure out how to, how to afford this. Right. So it doesn't have to be the, like, at least not immediately the seemingly more intense conversations, which is like, how much do you make? Right. It, like, sure. it doesn't have to be that even just starting, you know, with, yeah, I got a raise at work. Can yeah. we go out and celebrate? Or yeah. I paid off my first credit card, right? Like that is so, so, so helpful. Mm -hmm. And again, like Brene Brown says, like vulnerability, all of this is by, about being vulnerable, about, you know, doing something a little scary um, and understanding that unfortunately vulnerability is not common because of the society we mm -hmm. exist in. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, it's, it's, important to, to have these conversations and have them in safe spaces and yeah. to hopefully open yourself up so other people will feel a, the ability to open up too. Yeah. You were just uh, sparked my, my memory. Like I'm living with somebody who's from Brooklyn and we were having this conversation the other day. Like I just started about five weeks ago, um, a cross country road trip because cool. of the, uh, put everything I owned in storage because of the, I literally did the same thing. Situation. All my stuff's in storage. Yeah. Like, yeah. They jacked my rent, and mm. so I was going to move to a one-bedroom apartment. I was going to end up paying more for a one-bedroom than a two-bedroom, and then it's just a whole thing. I was like, you know what? I don't. I'm going to hit the road. I'm going to figure it out along the way. Yeah, and cool. and that's coming from people that like have privilege that like right. have the ability and the flexibility to be able to go and work from from wherever. And um, and I'm still like ma having those conversations, experiencing that my, myself, um, but he and I were having this conversation. He sent me, um, I saw, we saw a meme recently, um, around about the average millennial net worth and I have it pulled up and, um, I don't know if this is, I can't like cite the, the, um, reference. I don't know if this is hundred percent accurate. I just want to put that out there, but it says like the average net worth of somebody who's, uh, let's just take my age. I just turned 31 over the weekend is $2,000. $2,032. Everyone under the age of 31 is, un, is in debt, right? It's like, yeah. and, um, only going up to like 39 being like the average net worth being maybe around 70 grand. It's like, we've got to yeah. do some things differently. So that's and, go ahead. Yeah. Oh, I was going to say, and even more significantly, um, if you are a member of a marginalized group, or multiple marginalized sure. groups, that stat gets exponentially worse. Exactly. I literally read, I read in doing research for the book, um, the average black American's net worth is a couple hundred dollars. <sighs> and that's any age, that's mm -hmm. any, uh, that's insanity. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, not surprising, sure. but absolute insanity, yeah. right? And so, yeah, mm -hmm. it's, <laughs> Again, these are, it's not because you're buying too much coffee. Yeah. That's not the reason you can't afford an $850,000 house. Mm -hmm. That's not it. Um, that's not why you can't pay off your student loans. Mm -hmm. It's a uh, very small part, your individual choices, mm -hmm. and a very large part, 
systemic oppression. So let's talk about the things that we can do and can control. Yes, Obviously, please. go out and vote. Pay attention when that yes, this policy vote, comes protest. up. Let's yeah. Call let, your call your representatives. Exactly. All of that. Yes. Um, let your voice be heard. Um, speak up for your communities and those uh, who whose voice may or may not you know um, be ones that are heard. Definitely. Uh, care about your neighbor. Uh, befriend the people in your community and see how you can support them. But for those listening to this and they're like, okay, there are things I want to do that I can't afford or there are things that I do that I know money is holding me back, right? Yep. I come from a, uh, maybe they're even consciously aware that they've got a paradigm or a belief system that is rooted in lack and scarcity around money. Sure. Um, what do you say to those people? Where do you start uh, mm -hmm. to re-empower yourself, to move from what I say in, in Coachable and in our curriculum is move from a defensive posture around money into an offensive posture. Stop playing defense. Sure. And how do we start being proactive and intentional and moving downfield to our end goal instead of just trying to play not to lose. Yeah. Um, we have a whole journaling exercise that I take people through on episode three of financial feminist. Um, and I'll give you the first prompt. Um, so much of our money beliefs and the way we manage money is based on how we grew up around money. So this shocks people. The vast majority of your money habits are cemented by age seven. Mm. So second grade, unless you do some work on yourself, the vast majority of the way you're going to see money, good and bad, is going to be largely cemented by, by elementary school, yeah. right? So one of the things I asked people in that episode, the first thing is I asked them what their first money memory was. What is the first time you remember consciously having a thought about money? And I explained that for me, it was, I really wanted to go see a musical, because I was a theater nerd, even that young. And my parents told me like, okay, if you want something, you got to save your money for it. It wasn't Christmas. It wasn't my birthday. Okay. You got to save money for it. So I opened, like I had a little Altoids tin mm -hmm. and I put every like penny I found on the street and every like dollar I earned from something and put it in my Altoids tin. And so again, the narrative was, okay, if you want something and you can't afford it right now, you need to save money for it. You can't, you know, take out a loan. You can't put it on a credit card. Right. And that was, you know, a really positive memory for me. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, when I do this with clients, a lot of it's, uh, I saw my parents arguing about money. I realized that we didn't have enough money. Um, and so even journaling about that, of understanding what sort of uh, beliefs, what sort of conclusions did I make mm -hmm. about money or about uh, debt or about earning money? What sort of those got cemented for me very early on? Yeah, I actually... Based on... Oh yeah, go I ahead. Was I, was, I always ask. I always love to hear other people. Yeah, I was gonna. Uh, I listened to that episode and I loved it. And I everybody who's listening to this should go listen to that episode because you'll get several other prompts that can follow this, and it's it's really helpful to work through this. I thought about mine, and um, it, there's likely some that I could uncover that were earlier, but I remember one specifically. I had a ten dollar bill, and I was at uh, the, like the grocery store with my mom, and somehow I lost the ten dollar bill in the grocery store. And when I got home, uh, somehow that came out and I, I said that I lost the money and we had a 
what felt like a big family discussion around money and being responsible with money. Mm. And mm -hmm. um, so there's a couple things there, right? The fact that of losing money, that it, you can you right. can lose it. Um, but two, like what does it mean to be responsible and to take care of your money and to be a steward of money? Um, and then there was a part that got cemented around being a good girl, like be, be good, be responsible, you know, um, and spend wisely, right? And so... Um, those were all things that I had to work through. Uh, other things in my family growing up was, you know, I saw my parents working multiple jobs, uh, to, working really hard, right? But always, um, you know, we didn't struggle, but we certainly were not wealthy. There were th yeah. things that they really, like, overly had to take on more and more and more stuff to be able to pay for. Right. Um, and so one of the beliefs I had was making money it's hard. Right. And so I just yeah. would always talk about, well, it's hard to, to make money. Um, and I was like, well, I'm, I'm creating more struggle and resistance for myself than, in, than is necessary. And then I remember these, well, like, it makes you feel good. Right. Right. Because you're like, uh, you know, it, it, uh, because we live in a capitalist society that applauds hustle mm -hmm. and not a good hustle, right. A hustle until you die. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, rest means weakness all of these things so we're we're told again like work really hard yeah. and if you're not working hard you're lazy as opposed to like what if i work as much as i can slash want sure. to and also rest yeah. right yeah. like what if it, what if it's possible to earn as much money if not more money in a way that doesn't burn me out yep for me moving like that, from defense yeah. to offense was replacing that belief yeah. with you know with making money is, you know, a natural byproduct of doing the things that I love mm. or where I spend my energy or, you know, yeah. like, um, work smart, not hard, you know, was a, like, I'm going to be more strategic. I'm going to be more intentional with where I'm spending my, my time and my energy and my money. Um, and that was sort of this permission slip to get out of that, that storyline that was just, it has to be a challenge. It has to be difficult yeah. all the time. Um, and I remember when I surpassed my parents' income level for the first time when I was like probably 25 and I was making more than both of them had ever made combined. And I had this moment of just realization that's like, wow, this is, um, this is significant for me. And, yeah. and I couldn't, um, there, there are many factors to, to how that happened, but, um, that was one of those moments where I realized I can create momentum and continue to, to create what I want with intention. Um, obviously there's other factors that play, but like I had to really look at those stories. Um, especially when I started my business, because when you go full time on your own, I didn't do what most people did, which is have a certain amount of savings, like six months saved up in the bank and all the things like I made the plunge. Um, and probably would have gone against what a lot of advisors would have said, but I had a deep, deep level of self-trust and it pressed on all of my belief systems with money, which was good because it needed to come up and I needed to look at all of it, um, in that season. And that was a, a real catalyst for me, um, in a, my ability to be a business owner, but also just to create, um, the financial you know, security that I want. And I'm still learning. I mean, that's why I have people like you on. Um, I'm curious if there's anything else that you would add to that um, in terms of people getting out of the defense into the offense. I know you mentioned that, that question around what does yeah. that first memory look like? Yeah, I think, um, 
again, the realizing like what sort of assumptions have you made just about money in general? Mm -hmm. What sort of assumptions have you made about people who quote unquote have money versus people who don't? Mm -hmm. Um, I think uniquely, especially with women, um, we are told that wanting money is evil or bad, right? Yeah, yeah, gold digger. Right. And um, I don't want to stack a government issued paper. That doesn't get me Mm -hmm. anything. Right. I want what money buys me, which is choices and options. Exactly. Right. So uh, wanting money, you want choices. Mm -hmm. Everybody wants choices. That's not a bad Mm -hmm. thing. Right. And uniquely, again, as women, it is socially unacceptable to say that you would like to be rich. Men can say that and men are worshipped for it. Look at Elon Musk, right? Like Elon Musk sneezes and the the bros, the tech bros are like, oh, my God. Right. And women, you know, uh, a woman being confident, standing in her power, doing that, like gets immediate misogynic, misogynistic bullshit in her comments. Right. And so it's okay to want money. It's okay to want choices. Every single person wants those mm-hmm. choices. It's not bad. It's not, it's actually, it's beautiful. Yeah. I want every single person. I want every single woman to be able to leave toxic situations and to be able to donate money to causes she believes in and to be able to start a business if she wants or to have kids or not have kids or to get married or to not get married because you don't financially need a partner. Exactly. Like, I want all of those choices for every single woman on this planet. Yeah. And so wanting money pursuing money is not a bad thing. Mm -hmm. Now, if you're pursuing money, just, I don't know, because you want to be like Scrooge McDuck and like swim in it. Of course. Yeah. Not a good thing. However, I don't think the vast majority of people Mm -hmm. just want money in order to see a literal stack of paper in their bank account. Right. I want what that, that stack of paper gives me in terms of options. Exactly. I say money is, gives me the ability to say yes. Sure. You know, or say right. no. I to whatever. To like if I want to get the fifty dollar bottle of wine, I can get it. You know, if I wanna right. get the thing, like go on this experience, if I want to donate right. to this cause. If- For me it's like it, if I am working with a client that uh no longer shares my values, I get to fire that client. Yeah. And I'm not financially dependent on that client in order for our business to succeed. Yep. Right. If I'm in a relationship mm-hmm. with somebody and they pull some shit. I get to leave that relationship because I'm not financially dependent mm-hmm. on them. Right. Yeah. So yeah, for me, it's, it's yes. And it's also boundaries, 100%. right? It's like, I don't have to stay in a situation I don't want to be in because I'm financially dependent right. on that situation. We talk a lot about codependency on this show and there are so many people who I've worked with, um, who have stayed in situations, um, out of fear, out of, dependency out of um you know well and out of yeah like 99 percent of domestic violence cases have some sort of financial abuse tied mm-hmm. to them and we know from research that the number one reason uh people don't leave those situations or can't excuse me can't leave those situations is because they don't have the money to yeah. do so they don't have the financial abil- ability to do mm-hmm. so so right like even that is the perfect example for me it's like the perfect unfortunate perfect case study of like this is why money is so important this is why personal finance and financial education and a financial foundation is so important Mm -hmm. yeah it really is and it can be in those cases life or death for people like it can transform their entire (laughs) unfortunately again literally lighter life or death yeah so you guys this is just the tip of the iceberg of the types of things that Tori 
gets into in her podcast. I know it's going to come out in, in your book that's coming out. I'm super excited yeah. for, and your show is going to be relaunching in just a couple of weeks. So what can people yeah, expect really from this second season and the things that you are currently working on, um, in, from you for the rest of, the, of 2022? Yeah. Thanks for asking. Yeah. So financial feminist season one was, uh, it was a blockbuster. We were so yeah. excited. I set big goals and I was really excited about the show and somehow those goals were exceeded. Yeah. The response has been so, so cool and uh, such a, such a validation of the work we do at her first center K. So yeah, we released season one with six episodes. Um, we were at the top of the business charts. We were really proud about that. And even now having not released an episode for like 10 months, we're still in like the top five, top 10, which is absolutely crazy to us. So in season two, we keep calling it season two, but it's not really a season two because we're just going now forever. Yes. We're going to be doing six episodes a month, uh, one interview episode a week. And then these kind of like short actionable episodes with me every other week. So yeah, as opposed to six weeks and then us piecing out for 10 months, you're going to get six episodes a month from us. Um, so we're so excited for that. And we're having a lot more conversations in a more broad way about money. We're bringing on musicians to talk about how did they get out of their record yeah. deal and what sort of payment do they get on tour. We're bringing in uh, credit experts. We're bringing in experts on uh, toxic masculinity. And we're so excited. The diet culture. We have a bunch of episodes lined up that we're really excited about. Um, and then uh, I'm wrapping up my book right now, but it will uh, probably be available at the tail end of this year. Um, also tentatively uh, titled Financial Feminist. Yeah. So um, yeah, we're so excited for everything we got. Y'all got a ton. I know people have been salivating for more from you. And yeah. um, <laughs> the thing too, you guys, that you got to check out is go to herfirst100k.com. Tori, you have, you're like the queen of free resources and giving people like Thank you. really, really great tangible things they can use, um, from, you know, you guys just got to go check it out. Um, because I, I can guarantee you every one of you listening can find something that would be useful from their free use resources library. So that's her first 100 k.com slash free dash resources. We'll put that in the show notes. Um, and we also want to point you to your app uh, that you've got. So tell us just yeah. a little bit about that and what people can expect if they download. Yeah. So one of the number one things we hear from women is I want to start investing, but I'm too scared. Yeah. Um, and that's totally, again, another, another patriarchal bullshit narrative is that investing is complicated and difficult. So don't do it. Right. And if the patriarchy tells you investing is complicated um, and they lie to you about it and then you don't do it, well, cool. You don't build your wealth. And so um, we launched uh, a, a, uh, investing community in an app called treasury it's available only on our website um, but we start with an investing 101 workshop we walk you through what is a stock what is mm -hmm. a bond how to choose your investments how to open up an account um, and then you actually make your first investment live on the workshop so it's so cool because people come in really kind of timid and scared and a little fearful and they walk out literally becoming most of them first-time investors so we have all over 13 million dollars already linked within treasury which is so cool um, and yeah we have workshops available all the time so you kind of 
come in with the workshop. We, we are not just dropping you in blind. We want to make sure we're guiding you through the process live one-on-one -on -one with me. And then um, you're kind of inducted into this community where you can ask questions, read videos. We have challenges around, you know, how to become a more educated investor, how to continue investing in a smart way. And so, um, yeah, we're so excited about it. Again, we launched it at the end of January and um, the response has just been really awesome. cool. So it's really amazing for us to actually like watch watch the change happen mm -hmm. live where people yeah they come in and they're like i'm here and i'm excited but like i'm a little yeah. scared and i don't know what i'm doing and then they go oh well that was easy and we go we yeah. know like it's not that hard we you just needed somebody to explain yeah. it to you so um you can go to treasury.app for that or you can go also go to herfirstunderk.com and find i love it that because it's what i say all the time is knowledge isn't power that's one of the myths that we get told all the time the knowledge is power mm. applied knowledge is power and um, Ooh, that's we, a good one. what I like is don't just come to this show or come, you know, listen to financial feminists or whatever right. and take knowledge and, and learn something and not use it. Go then actually take the next step and open the, you know, investment account, yeah. invest your money, make sure it's going somewhere. And that's why I love that you're taking people through that process in real time so that they can actually totally. do the action um, that follows the, the information because we live in an age of information. We are swimming in information. Um, we we have to do something with that so that we can actually create yes, a sustainable change. And that's what we're trying to do. Yep. I know that's what you're doing. Um, so thank you for your contribution, for your work, for your service, for um, thank you. empowering women that. and men um, all over the world um, and um, really being a beacon of light for education and um, financial literacy. And uh, let's all, let's all like, it should be like her first billion. Let's make it like we're going to re. Gonna, yeah, we're hoping like it's her now billion, her so. first. I don't know. I, it'd be interesting to total up all of it. I don't obviously, I, you know, you don't know how many people you actually mm -hmm. affect. But yeah, we've got to be at like her first tens yeah. millions. I don't know. I don't I know what it, it is. At this I love point. it. Well, <laughs> thank you so much for spending time with us um, and for thank being you. on Thanks the show. You're welcome back anytime. You guys, until next time. Go out, be coachable, learn, but do. Go do what you've learned. I love you. I'll see you next time on the show. Come back and we'll see you next time on the Coachable Podcast. You guys, if you love this show, do me a favor. Please subscribe to the podcast. And if you feel called, leave a review. I would love to hear how the show is impacting you. But not only that, be a hero to somebody and share it with somebody in your life that needs to hear it. If you're getting value from it, I can guarantee it that someone else that you know would get value as well. And honestly, I wouldn't be here if somebody didn't share with me a podcast episode a couple years ago that absolutely changed my life and set me on the course that I am today. And I'm eternally grateful for that person. And you can be that person to someone else. So share it, share the love because you matter, they matter, and what you have to say matters. So I would love to hear if there's something in this episode that really stands out to you and is a ha aha moment, send me an email to media at torygordon.com. Let me know what it was that stuck out to you. What was your aha moment? Maybe where and around what time in the podcast that really spoke to you because my team and I love to hear that. We love to see and hear exactly what is speaking to your heart and it's 
helps us to serve you better. So please like, subscribe, share. You are helping this podcast continue to grow and get out to larger audiences that can help shape the world and bring more and light, love and healing to it. So thank you for your contribution and let's get on to the podcast.